Hey, welcome to the Seattle Psychiatrist Interview Series. This educational series is brought to you by Seattle Anxiety Specialists. Located in downtown Seattle, our psychiatrists and therapists specialize in treating anxiety, anxiety disorders, and other mental health issues that commonly lead to anxiety. For a full list of our services, as well as access to our multitude of online resources, check us out online at seattleanxiety.com. Hey, thanks for joining us today. I'm Dr. Jennifer Gahari, Administrative Director at Seattle Anxiety Specialists. I'd like to welcome with us like licensed psychologist, Dr. Robin Walser, who is Director of TL Consultation Services, Co-Director of the Bay Area Trauma Recovery Center and staff at the National Center for PTSD Dissemination and Training Division. A Master Act trainer, much of her work is focused on trauma and addiction, and that's what we're gonna be discussing today. Uh, before we get started, uh, Robin, can you please let us know a little bit about yourself, some of the work you've done, and the books that you've written? Ah, sure. Thank you. And thank you for inviting me to be here today and to chat about these important topics. Um, let's see. I got interested in ACT in 1991, a uh, long time ago. Did my first training in 1990 seven or eight in Ireland, which was such an amazing experience. And then um, I think wrote my first book on PTSD and trauma in 2007 for ACT for PTSD and trauma. And then I've written several books since then and just released um, ACT for Moral Injury, The Heart of ACT, one of my, one of my favorites. And then um, a colleague and I are working on ACT for Anger. So we're going to get that out there pretty soon too. So pretty exciting stuff in terms of the, of the publishing world. Yeah. That's fantastic. Is that Great helpful? Would you like more? No, I think that's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. It's a, it's a good date. Um, so today we're going to be discussing PTSD and addiction. So just to kind of get us started um, can, and provide a basis for the discussion, can you explain what, what is trauma? Yeah, so it, that's a very interesting question in uh, a number of senses, because when you're working with clients or you're just talking with people in the sort of lay world and sometimes even in the clinical world, uh, trauma gets used a lot for things that are not actually criterion A traumas, which is the DSM diagnosis or um, criteria for getting PTSD. So those are life-threatening, uh, typically, uh, or hearing about uh, the sudden loss of another person or mm -hmm. ongoing uh, trauma across lifetime, like sexual abuse and then sexual assault or something like that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, often people will come and say, I was traumatized by this experience. And what it was was somebody perhaps said something really threatening or something really awful, or uh, maybe they got fired from a job or something like that. And those wouldn't actually meet the criteria for trauma. Um, but although the, the client or the person may experience it as a very horrible and challenging event, um, trauma uh, as defined by the diagnostic system is actually a life-threatening experience where 
intense fear and um, horror or response of helplessness are um, a part of what the individual experiences. So they're just a, making a little clarity around those things can be helpful. Right, perfect. So then in terms of PTSD, how does a trauma contribute to it? And what types of events or traumatizing events are most commonly leading to the development of PTSD in a person? Well, so it's normal for almost anyone to respond to um, a traumatic event like a, a natural disaster, uh, a man-made disaster, like a shooting or um, uh, maybe a, a crash or work accident or anything like that with some degree of fear and panic and feeling unsettled most of us would have that response uh, but what you would expect is that it would um, it would linger for a bit of time and that you might be edgy and jumpy and worried and not feel safe for a period of time but typically what happens is people begin to um, go down in that kind of reactive emotional quality within a week or a few weeks after um, the traumatic event. Mm. What happens is that some folks like have all of these reactions and they actually don't experience a decrease. And after about a month of these kinds of reactions continuing, they would get the diagnosis of, PT, of post-traumatic stress disorder. They want it, and they'd have to meet certain criteria. So hyperarousal, where you're feeling um, heat up and on edge and you're searching the environment for danger. Um, mood of, uh, struggles like um, and thought struggles, like your mood is low or blue or anxious and your thoughts are about the trauma, about safety or worrying about things. Hmm. It's also avoidance where uh, this is another criteria. So you stop going to uh, see uh, people that you know, you stop visiting places, you uh, stop going anywhere where you might be reminded of the trauma, and uh, try not to think about what happened, you try to get away from the memories. And so all kind of avoidance inside of that as well. And um, uh, there's a fourth criteria. I got hyperarousal, avoidance, mood and thought struggles. And <laughs> it's going to slip out of my mind in this moment. I heard the expert on PTSD not getting the last criteria. <laughs> oh, intrusiveness. So like, you keep re-experiencing, re you keep experiencing the event over and over again, like you have memories of it that are intruding on your normal time and you're struggling with those intrusions. Okay. So in, in terms of avoidance, it sounds like um, becoming addicted to something or some type of addicted behavior might develop to try to, to break away from those intrusive thoughts and the, and the fears and the ongoing stresses. Um, so how prevalent in your experience is addiction and those with PTSD? And are there certain types of addiction that are more common than others? Well, uh, PTSD and substance use are highly comorbid. It's not unusual to have somebody uh, come into the clinical setting who's using a substance in some way. It may not be a full addiction, but often it, uh, 
would qualify for abuse or regular use that's not of the social nature mm. where um, they're um, using to actually suppress or get away, you know, suppress the anxiety and fear that they're experiencing or to try and block the worry that's happening. And so it's quite, they, they co-occur um, relatively um, at a great rate. There's lots of co-occurrences though with PTSD, like depression is also highly co-occurring. And so like, you know, that's something like an 80% rate. The um, co-occurrence of PTSD isn't quite, and, and substance use isn't quite that high, but it is something to be assessing for if you're seeing individuals who have post-traumatic stress disorder or just subclinical trauma, even people can be um, seeking ways to escape their experience by using substances. And probably um, the one I see the most is alcohol. Oh, okay. the, the people, it's easy access, it's, you know, legal. And uh, so people are um, uh, drinking as a way to suppress. I mean, it's not that they couldn't have other uh, it, uh, uh, experiences on board, right? Like, Hmm. Other substances, I've certainly seen plenty of those as well. Polysubstance use can also be part of the profile where they're using multiple substances to try to escape their experience. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, you had mentioned that PTSD is diagnosed after someone is experiencing these symptoms for about a solid month or so. And have you found that prompt psychotherapeutic treatment following a trauma lessens the chance of a, a developing an addictive coping behavior or does the timing not really make too much of a difference? And just as a quick follow-up to that in terms of timing, is there ever a time where it's essentially too late to seek treatment for a trauma or is um, psychotherapy, uh, psychotherapeutic treatment helpful at any point for somebody following PTSD and a trauma? Yeah, no, let me answer the first, the latter half of your question first, and then I'll answer the first part of it. Um, it is, uh, you could get treatment at any point in time for trauma, especially if you're having ongoing and lasting symptoms. Mm. I mean, there's a couple of models about how uh, trauma can work. And like one says that right after the uh, trauma, you have long lasting and sustained system uh, uh, symptoms across time. The other is sort of more of waxing and waning, like they, it comes and it goes and it comes and it goes and it depends a little bit on the situational factors, like maybe life isn't too stressful for you at one point and you're doing okay and your symptoms are lower, but then a life stress, stressor happens and the symptoms get triggered and are up again. And then there's also this idea that you can go for a long time without really struggling too much with symptoms, sort of a delayed onset, and you get um, symptoms much later in life. So a good example of this might be, uh, uh, let's say a World War II veteran mm -hmm. who um, was maybe in a war, was a prisoner of war and saw lots of, um, uh, had lots of terrible experiences in battle and actually had symptoms, but came back from the war and went to work and had a family and did all the things that they 
to help sort of manage and avoid or distract, maybe even using substances along the way. It's not been unusual for me to see somebody who for years and years, like 30 years of using alcohol as a way to kind of keep the symptoms down, but they retire or they have a significant event that sort of lowers their coping ability, like the death of a spouse. And suddenly their symptoms are really high and they're struggling with PTSD late in life. So there's different courses and it just depends a little bit on, you know, who's sitting on front of you, who's sitting in front of you and what their circumstances have been. With respect to um, intervening um, right after the trauma, the, the data is a little more mixed. Um, there's some data that says if you can come in and help people with their cognitions post-trauma, the cognitions that are the intrusive thoughts that are coming in that you can perhaps lower the possibility of getting PTSD later, like there feels like there's something important about that. Um, uh, and there is certainly work of like psychological first aid where uh, mental health providers can come in and provide psychological first aid immediately following the trauma, like within a few days or so. And that can be helpful. But some of the key factors are social support, like right after the trauma, are there people there to help you? A reestablishment of safety, like, do you feel safe again? Are people hearing you and helping you? Um, getting connected to resources if you need resources. So you can sort of feel like that if you can get that kind of social and resource foundation in underneath somebody right away, mm-hmm. that um, it could be helpful. But some people are just going to struggle because of earlier vulnerabilities. Mm. Like maybe they've had other traumas prior to a significant trauma um, and that that puts them at risk for developing trauma um, in this one circumstance. And so there's an ideographic quality to it in some way about who will and who will not um, uh, get PTSD. I think I answered both of those. Did I catch them both? Absolutely. Very perfectly. Thank you. Yes. In terms of overcoming addiction, when you have PTSD and when you're suffering from that, is it possible to overcome and conquer some addiction without treating the PTSD? Or is it really fundamental to first conquer the PTSD and, and get some type of treatment for that and then be able to battle and, and conquer whatever addiction that, that a person might have? Or are they completely separate? Um. The, they are heavily intertwined. And so if you're, the, the lore for a long time, and we now know that this is not the case, but it still happens, is that sort of you go and get your substance use uh, handled first, and then you come and do the trauma treatment. That's sort of been the way that people think about it. Take care of this, and then we'll take care of that. But actually what the data show is that it's better to treat simultaneously to be addressing both the PTSD and the substance use at the same time. That's where you get the greatest outcomes and recovery. It's hard to do though. I mean, there's not a lot of programs that are designed to treat both of them simultaneously. Um, 
not everyone knows exactly what to do in terms of how do you address those. And there's a few treatments that are out there um, that have been proven effective, but there tend to be like IOP type inpatient or type. Um, and then uh, one other treatment that um, addresses both simultaneously is seeking safety. And if you think of um, Judith Herman's model of treatment, right? It's sort of like safety, then trauma, then reintegration kind of processes. And sort of this sort of falls in that initial stage where you're teaching coping skills to deal both with um, drinking or whatever substance it is and the trauma at the same time. There's 24, 25 different skills in there. They're sort of DBT-like in terms of the type of skills that you would teach. Um, and the data essentially shows that it's about a, as effective as relapse prevention. Wow. And um, so it's one of the few. Uh, and we really need to do a lot more work in this area. One of the reasons why I like acceptance and commitment therapy and when I think about post-traumatic stress disorder is because of that um, that overarching quality that it has where it's addressing multiple things at the same time. Mm. I still think you got to do exposure work, right? Like if you're going to address the trauma, but um, ACT kind of has this nice quality of addressing avoidance and looking at how substance use is a part of that avoidance mm. process oh, okay. while you're simultaneously working with the trauma and reducing the avoidance. Right. Uh, lastly, I recently saw you had an interview regarding the social and psychological impacts of COVID-19. I wanted to know, um, have you seen effects of PTSD due to the pandemic yet, particularly those in who have gotten the virus or have lost loved ones from it? Um, and what's the importance of self-care during this uncertain, uncertain environment? Yeah, uh, we do know this, that um, there's often a second pandemic that occurs behind the first, like COVID, which is a mental health pandemic. Mm -hmm. And uh, all of the data, of course, isn't in on COVID-19 because we're still right in the middle of it. Um, so I don't have any exact facts and figures about what's happening. I can speak a little bit anecdotally sure. about it. And I can also talk some in terms of um, uh, sort of the larger impact and maybe even some about what's happening in our, in our clinic. Um, we do know that numbers of things can happen and that the kind of stressors that people are experiencing right now can increase their symptoms of PTSD. So if you're if you're tracking symptoms, let's say if you're working on treating them and they're and they're not going down, like I'm kind of curious, is it because of the treatment or something's not happening in the treatment, or is it because everything's so stressful right now that it's just kind of hard to maybe keeping them steady is helping, but they're not going up. Uh, in the time of COVID, not going up in their uh, increase in symptoms. People are struggling. And uh, I think it has impacts that we still haven't quite figured out yet fully. Um, and how it influences PTSD, I think is a little bit unknown. 
In our clinic, one of the things that we're noticing in our Bay Area Trauma Recovery Clinic is that the clinicians are also like really stressed. And they're trying to work with people who have trauma and who are really stressed. And so it's, you can kind of feel like there's this environment of just trying to get the work done mm-hmm. without sort of burning out and helping people manage their own stress of job losses mm-hmm. while having PTSD or losing uh, individuals uh, to COVID and not being able to say goodbye. So a lot of emotional um, turmoil and uh, we may see increases in um, experiences of trauma due to the loss, losses that people are experiencing um, as a result of COVID. I'm hearing whisperings of those kinds of things. Um, and uh, that people feel more vulnerable right now. And there, I think there's a little bit of a... Um, kind of something that's not really spoken to in terms of the kind of ongoing and chronic isolation that people might be experiencing and the sort of repetitiveness that is now happening in people's days due to, you know, restaurants being closed and you can't go to the movies and you can't go see your friends. And so like each day starts to look like the last day. Mm-hmm. maybe you've even experienced that yourself right I know I have like I'm like oh it's today Thursday or Friday right. <laughs> it's exactly. just like the same day and what is the impact of that like that kind of repetitive like non like we're sort of curious animals in a way right like we're we got a lot going on up here and we're into discovery and technology and all of these explorers in a way and um that I don't, on an individual level being able to get out and connect is uh i think pretty important and so for those who are isolated lost jobs lost family members i think that their P, I like it's hard for me to imagine that their ptsd symptoms are aren't worsening as a result of that um their papers are being written right like people are doing the um uh, research in real time, and uh, I can't keep up with it myself. I've done a, I've done some reading, and I've just published with some colleagues on things to be looking for in terms of pandemics. But the full outcome of this pandemic, I don't think, is going to be known. But I would not be surprised if it's intense in terms of mental health outcomes. Okay, so yeah. it seems that especially if people are suffering or, or find themselves just under the stressors of what's going on, they should seek help just to make sure it doesn't develop into something that would be more chronic and like yeah. okay. They should seek help. And if they can't find help um, clinically, because I don't, and maybe you're experiencing this, you'll have to let me know, but every clinician I talk to is like, I'm full, I'm full, I'm full. And yeah. uh, I'm getting emails that say things like, I've contacted 10 therapists and nobody's, available and you know um i would invite people to persist mm-hmm. and maybe to consider other options as temporary kind of uh, space holders like um, and i hope this doesn't sound too trite because i know some people are really suffering but 
sure. you know, looking online for social groups that you can join. Um, if you're having a substance use uh, issue and you know that you're struggling, you know, take a peek at some of these online recovery groups like Smart Recovery or Alcoholics Anonymous, AA. Um, like, don't just let the, if you can't get a hold of somebody, you can't make something happen, like, don't suffer alone. You just keep trying. I would download apps that are, um, you know, helpful, like doing mindfulness apps or listening to Tara Brock meditations on um, the internet, just almost anything that sort of helps you through the process, especially if you're unable to get services at the moment. Hopefully you can, but uh, I don't know. Do you find this happening in your area where clinicians are just saying, yeah, unfortunately it's, and what I think you, you brought up an important point is that people are not alone in this. The, the amount of suffering is so widespread and it's just an active part of the pandemic, unfortunately. Um, so like you said, pursuing and, and being persistent and, and trying to get some type of help is, is really necessary at this time. Yeah, yeah. And even if you have to do something like join a social group online, like a book club, or yeah. I, like these are not enough. I, I know that, but just somehow feeling like you're connecting, I think can be useful and helpful because, you know, social support in the middle of a, in the middle of such a huge, um, you know, a worldwide, like forced isolation process. Um, can be um, just invaluable. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And uh, please be safe and well during this time. And we look forward to speaking with you again in the future. Uh, Thank you. Thank you again for having me. Thank you.